Last time on Montreal Sauce. I need a bucket truck to go over there to the line to shut off just your TV, <laughs> and I'm not going to do it. See you later. <laughs> <laughs> One of the other things I was curious about is, uh, oh, did you see, <laughs> I'm just going to switch. Did, did you see um, John Oliver's last week tonight when he was uh, doing his interview with Edward Snowden? No, I didn't. That's one thing that I have been meaning to watch. Mm. I've got some uh, – I, I heard some mixed reviews about it. So I'm like, mm, I'll probably not run to that. But yeah, I've definitely been meaning to watch it. That's for sure. I have seen Citizen Four though, which is a super, super awesome film documentary. Of course, obviously an Oscar-winning documentary and I would highly, highly recommend everyone to watch it. Um, if you want to know more about him as a person or the events that happened because they were so you – know, everyone remembers watching TV and seeing – hearing about what happened. Or if you just want to learn more about the kinds of things that are happening in the world today, I would highly, highly recommend it. Huh. See, uh, I, I, I wasn't that impressed with it but that's – we all have our opinions. I, I thought like it, it told his story really well but I think at this point like as I wanted to do a show talking about these issues, <laughs> I wanted yeah. to hear more about the issues and the movie is more about like what's happening with him. Yeah, I can I can definitely see that. And another thing that I would say about it is that it definitely comes at things from a – not a, a super basic perspective like you had to know who the guy is and kind of the gist of what happened and maybe have a bit of more of a technical footing about what happened in order to really get the most out of it i don't know if you know just some random person that knows nothing about any of this would understand a whole lot but i still think it was definitely worth seeing just because of you know the way that he really marked history and hearing way more about it and seeing way more about what happened than what the media would be able to tell you yeah, the uh, just to backpedal, um, I was a little bit again as I'm like seeking out the information and I want to learn things. Uh, so I watched the last week tonight where John Oliver was going to interview him, and then as soon as they started in with like the jokes, I was like, oh, you know, this is kind of a, it's an interesting time in our lives when. We get all of our news from funny shows rather than the news because they're all about entertainment these days. Mm -hmm. But uh, he turned me around because um, basically uh, totally like spoilers for everyone listening. But uh, um, does he die at the end? No, no. But uh, John Oliver (laughs) sends someone out in Times Square and asks people to say, like, you know, who is Edward Snowden? And like. According to him, there wasn't a lot of editing going on, like, and hardly anyone knew who he was. Mm. Um, and it was kind of sad. And so then, or yeah, it, it was kind of along the lines of they either didn't really know who he was at all, or they had like a very formed opinion about. Uh, oh, he's right. a traitor. He's the guy that sold all our information. Isn't he the guy? Isn't he the WikiLeaks guy? Um, yeah, which, and he sold you know. military secrets, right? That was the other right, thing. Right, that was the other thing, yeah. Mm-hmm. So, Well, we can thank our lovely media for, yes. for that. Yeah, yeah. So, CNN throwing the word traitor around like it's nobody's business. Right. But was, what I thought was interesting is he – like. And almost genius was they found a way to get people excited and angry because then they went around and like I think they actually did they send people out and just talk to them about like um, the NSA spying on the Internet and stuff. And they were people were just like, huh. But then then they went around and they said, did you know that like right now the government collects every dick pic that's on the Internet and on your phone? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and people were incensed. It was pretty crazy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I think I think that's as how a, you have to spell it out to people sometimes. Right, right. Yeah, I think as a I think as a like informational piece to get people more a little bit more aware of what the issue really is. I think that piece as a whole did a really good job. It did have very funny moments. Um, I thought uh, I thought Edward Snowden uh, did a good job. Um, both restraining his disappointment at the fact that, because some of it, some of it is there's like a point in the interview where you can f- 
kind of feel him thinking like, did I really, did I do this for nothing? Like, did anybody really learn anything about this? But then as they go on, uh, I think John Oliver does a really good job of like taking the very technical concepts and getting uh, Edward to kind of boil it down. What does this mean in relation to my dick pic? (laughs) Like, (laughs) do they have this? Yes. How do I keep them from getting that? You can't. (laughs) Like, you have to use a different kind of service like the ones that we've been talking about. Yeah, yeah, like uh, that's why I said he definitely redeemed himself with that whole like Edward Snowden tried to like even go into like okay, so Prism is this program? He's like, no. Can Prism get my picture of my dick? And he was like, yes, it can. Like he's like, okay. <laughs> what about this? That's program? all I need to know. That's the important. That's the important part. Yeah, it was. Uh, it was. It was like Paul said. It was a great way to get information out to people. Um, so yeah, definitely redeemed it. So you should check it out. Uh. <laughs> yeah, I've seen but, a yeah. lot of the other stuff that's been on that show, and just the way that they approach issues is completely different from even from the Daily Show, which is like the closest comparison that one yeah. can make. There's yep. stuff on this, you know, you really get much better informed than you would from watching any other kind of program. So I definitely recommend it. Yeah, and I i mean, HBO is always so good, so it's like I don't have HBO, but I can watch these all on last week tonight's, like, YouTube page, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. they're really good about that, too. Yeah, so, and it got us talking about it on a podcast that has a huge audience, so <laughs> that's why they do it. Their big break is coming up pretty soon. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> uh, I was going to say... Um, when you mentioned Citizen Four, uh, I was going to say like a really good film to watch. Um, and I didn't really know a lot of the story and the film was great about it. was the one about, is it Aaron Schwartz? It's the Internet's own boy, right? Yeah. yeah. That's a really great movie um, and really eye-opening. Did you see that one? I haven't seen that one yet either, but I'm very familiar with the, the case and the story. Sure. Yeah. yeah. But yeah, that's uh, that one tells his story really well, mm-hmm. and uh, I enjoyed it. Um, it's a it's a injustice that people need to know about and understand, and uh, realize that these kinds of things are happening. Yeah, and it feels like more frequently, unless they're just like in vogue in the media right now. But it feels like there's a lot of weird things happening right now, like people getting fired because of Twitter accounts and things. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you're not going to be able to. Well, that's definitely a, a, a circumstance or a consequence, rather, of the the social media culture that we live in, for better or for worse. I'm not exactly sure how privacy relates to that, or at least how we conceive of it now, um, in terms of you know, do ad companies or governments have access to this information? Sometimes you just need to be worried. Who else can have access to it? That's not one of these nefarious people trying to sell me something or put right. me in jail. Right. You know. If some random person can see what I wrote five or six years ago about some unflattering comment about this other person, then what what does that mean for my future you know, as a as an employer or or something like that? So I think privacy has a lot of implications uh, in that sphere as well. But it's hard to think about that. Yeah, and it's it's what's really interesting is I think uh, the three of us are a little bit uh, learning as we go. Um, as it were. But what's really nice is when I have these conversations with my wife, who's a teacher, like she spends time in grade two talking about digital citizenship. Right. And yeah. every every day on Twitter, you always see like some cheesy picture of some kids in a classroom and it says, please retweet so we can see how far this picture goes, because teachers are teaching the children that are coming up that like there are consequences for these kinds of things. Right. Yeah. So. You know, and yeah, it's like you said, it's not necessarily privacy, but um, yeah, it's kind of evolving around the same kind of issues for sure. It is. I mean, people, it all comes back to education for me. We definitely need to do a much better job in 
teaching people how services like this work. But it's really hard because they're developing so quickly. I mean, two years from now, everything's different and you have to teach people completely different things. But it's so critically important. You know, I remember last year and the year before in Canada, there was these big controversies about um, adolescents uh, sharing improper pictures and then people bullying other kids to death because they saw these pictures and they circulated where they weren't supposed to mm-hmm. uh, and so on. I mean these types of things are just terrible because people don't necessarily have a very good foundation in how to keep their information secure and not put them on the latest and greatest app that comes out because it's definitely going to get out that way. You know, right. So the only thing I can hope is that out of all of these kinds of horror stories, good things start to happen. People start to wise up now that these technologies are you know, five, ten years on. You know, the, the type of technology that we have nowadays to easily share pictures and videos with people, for example. I'm not sure how long it's going to take for it to, to mature into something that gets easily understood by people, but hopefully it's soon. Yeah, so uh, you mentioned um, that's that's one of the things I think we could tie back to uh, privacy is the when you do share things on these social networks, um, you're not in charge of your own security, obviously, because you're sharing it online and you might be using Facebook or a similar service that mm-hmm. is taking your rights or is doing things with these photos unless you opt out of them. But the other thing is, is you're sharing with the people you friended. So you need to trust who you're sharing it with. Mm-hmm. Right. Absolutely. It's certainly yeah. easy enough for me to do a screen grab of like a picture of one of Paul's girls because I'm friends with him and then post it somewhere else where like, you know, 4chan or something awful, right? Like, yeah. yeah so, exactly. how many Congress people have been, you know, had to resign out of this exact same principle? You know, I can't even right. count the number anymore. Right. Yeah. Just because you delete it from Twitter doesn't mean it never existed. Right. Right. <laughs> Yeah, I find uh, interesting with the stuff that's happening in Baltimore right now. Like someone will post something and then someone else will say, hey, I've put this video up on this server in case it disappears somewhere else. Like there is yeah. no deleting anything <laughs> anymore. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, the, yeah, that's, that's definitely – at least I would qualify that as being a properly a good result from this kind of technology. Sure. But we always often hear about the bad side and that's one that definitely needs to be addressed. Yeah, I think we've. I think some of it is we've done a bad job of um, as as the as the the populace at large have become digital citizens. We've been a bad job. We've done a bad job as the uh, the people who came before that of teaching all of them. You know, netiquette. <laughs> Net- netiquette it's is so a- hard. We have to teach our children, and we have to teach our parents too. Yeah, exactly. You have to <laughs> you have to teach both both directions, middle out, as they say. Yeah. Um, and it's uh, <laughs> it's tough to uh, it's it, the, those concepts are are you know pretty old. The idea of netiquette mm-hmm. um, is uh, probably twenty years old now, um, but that was when you know. One hundredth of one hundredth of the people who are online now were online at that time, yeah. and a lot of them didn't even necessarily learn it properly. Um, so now you have the mass propagation of Godwin's law, basically, and everybody's calling everybody else Hitler on the internet, and everybody loses. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah, it's uh, it's interesting. I was just thinking I've been listening to the X Files files with uh, Camille Nunn. Nanjiani and uh, what he's been doing is going back and searching through the old news groups or now Google groups um, and finding conversations about the X-Files episodes when they (laughs) aired. And uh, one of the shows, like, you know, they said, you know, here's some people saying, I think, you know, this should happen in the show. And then a bunch of trolls just saying, what are you like a retard? You know, like, (laughs) right. Yeah. Very hurtful troll like things. And um, (laughs) and so Kumail was like, what's what's really kind of like they're like, oh, it's the first trolls. Ha ha. Isn't that funny? And then they were like, well. You know, what's really interesting is a lot of these people are signing these messages because it's the early Internet and they're like <laughs> yeah. doctors and they have PhDs. And right. I was like, of course, because it's the early Internet. Yeah. And, Who's going to find it, this? Yeah, exactly. So I thought that was kind of fascinating. I was like, wow, 
like you've turned people with PhDs into trolls. Way to go, Internet. Um, so, yeah, is there – I know like uh, – yeah, there's so many traps because uh, of all the new things that happen in social networks and things. But uh, Jacob, you have a diaspora page. Is that you pretty happy with them? Yes. Yeah. So I have a diaspora page for um, Citizen Web, which is the organization around ArcOS, um, and mm, there have been a few hitches. I've, I followed diaspora basically since its beginning, and there have been a few hitches and hiccups here and there. Um, but overall, yeah, I'm super happy with it. I mean, it seems to work very well. It's the most popular non-corporate controlled social network out there, at least in, in my understanding. Um, it's, it's, it's lots of fun, <laughs> to be honest, and, and it works really well. It works just like Facebook, like Twitter or anything. It's gotten really stable and really usable. So it's definitely a thing I'd, I'd advise people to check out. And uh, running your own diaspora server they call it a pod. Running your own pod server is one of the applications that's forthcoming for ArcOS as well. So you can even have the ad, have the added benefit of having your own decentralized social network and having it work just like Facebook or Twitter would. And is it it's federated too? So if I have my yes. own pod on my ArcOS, then I can communicate with other people on Diaspora. It doesn't matter. Yes, that's correct. So um, there okay. there's one large ish. Um, diaspora server that was the original one and that one I don't even think it's accepting registrations anymore because they want to force people to get out onto all these federated servers so you know every country has its own main server and then different organizations have their own servers and so on Um, and servers can have thousands of individuals on them and they all communicate uh, with each other rather seamlessly so um, so with ArcOS you'll be able to have your own pod server and if you're having a Raspberry Pi, probably not have thousands of users on it, but you'll at least be able to have you and your friends, and you'll be able to communicate to everyone else in the network pretty easily. Yeah, that's what I was curious about that because uh, when I was looking at the documentation, I was like, so, so can I just have a pod of me and joined Diaspora, or am I basically making a pod so that more users can join? <laughs> yeah, no, you can do it either way. The intention is definitely to have a pod with you know, multiple people on it. So as many users as possible. Um, There is a different social network that I had tried back in the day called GNU Social, which uh, was an outgrowth of uh, StatusNet, if you're familiar with that. And uh, it's a very similar kind of structure. So it's a federated social network that you have installed on your own server. You can have um, dozens or hundreds of people on your um, I, I don't remember what they call it. It's not pod, but I guess I'll use that term for the sake of um, recognizing it. So you can have as many people as you want in your own pod, and then it's federated, so it talks to other servers. And it definitely, well, at least when I used it, was not nearly as smooth as Diaspora was, but it's pretty cool, at least. That's the mm-hmm. thing that I wish would take off more than anything else that we have now, is why aren't more people using these kinds of services? I mean, it just makes sense to have it um, decentralized and federated so that no one user would be able to to um, to to dominate it or to exert control over all the other users. No right, one like, company, I should say. Yeah, like, um, you know, the obvious example is email. Like, we can send it no matter what service you use yep. or you can use your own. And, yeah, it, it it is baffling at times to be like, wait, why are no not more people doing this? Like, it's so cool. Yep. Um, and I was going to ask you because we I talked just briefly a little bit about it with uh, Jen a few weeks ago, but uh, have you done any experimentation with um, the indie webcam stuff? Uh, I have. Uh, I tried to get into it uh, previously. I've I, I know some people from the community, and I've worked with them on other projects. 
Uh, I haven't done a whole lot personally with them just because it takes a lot of work to get your site up and running and to get you know all of the tags in there integrated with your other services. For a while though, especially when I was working on GNU Social, that was definitely something that I wanted to do with my site. These days I'm just too busy with other projects to really care. Um, if they come up with something that does all of this for you, like an app that creates your own website and has all of these integrations running, which I don't really know why they can't, um, but as soon as they do that, I'm sold. <laughs> it's it's really cool. I like what Gina and, and other people are doing with how they have the statuses on their own website published there first and then syndicated everywhere else. It's really cool. Yeah. It's, it, it's yeah. a good way to create integrations with these closed services like Twitter and stuff when you can't necessarily just push send from all of your services and have it end up there at once. Exactly. Uh, if uh, anyone's listening, you can try Gina.net and you can see an example. It's uh, J-E-E-N-A.net, I believe. Um, and he's just a mutual friend. We all sort of met probably on Tent or something. Um, but yeah, and I really like the idea. But like you, there's just so many other things grabbing my time that I don't have time to like sit down and figure out how to properly code it. <laughs> Another one that I really like is Brendan Novak, who is part of the MailPile team and has also done work with IndieWeb, um, brendannovak.com. You can go to his website, see his notes, and it's really clean. It's really well-designed. Um, once I am able to get started with this, that's definitely the kind of thing that I'm going to emulate. Yeah, and uh, like to your point, it's just like a central place. So, you know, it's it's uh, it's – it's a central place, but it's decentralized so that it works yeah. everywhere else. So yeah. you can have it's your a own website. central place for you and you only, and you can put all of your different kinds of information, and it automatically ends up everywhere else where other people can see it and consume it and interact with it. Yeah, we keep talking about how important it is um, to encrypt our data um, so that we have encrypted communication and yet like in the U.S. right now, that's a big conversation. <laughs> yeah. They apparently, the government doesn't want encryption because then that means we can communicate without them intercepting it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, because one, you know, in every million, 10 million, something like that, people is going to use it for a nefarious end. That means nobody should be able to have it for some reason because that totally makes sense. But yeah, there was a there was actually a um, I don't remember which house it was, but a congressional hearing um, yesterday on this very subject. So there was a panel with members of the FBI, CIA, something like that, and then uh, security industry professionals, um, and they were all talking about this exact problem. And of course, the government was like, "There's no reason why we shouldn't be able to do this and still have." everyone else be secure we can have our cake and eat it too we have the best minds in this country we should be able to solve this problem and then everyone else both in the room staring at them and on twitter commenting about it were like mm, you can't really defy the laws of mathematics and, and, and physics and all of these other things you can't just create a, a cryptographic system that has a gigantic hole in it and expect it to be perfect and only you have access to that little hole it just doesn't work that way um, so yes, I think the government has a lot of learning to do, as a lot of people do, about how how this kind of technology works. For sure, yeah. I think uh, it was recently, uh, I think yesterday during that, all of that, like uh, Jonathan, uh, one of the co-creators of uh, Tent, was like, uh -huh. uh, he said something like, basically the current uh, debate is like, should certain types of math be banned? <laughs> Yeah, exactly. I mean, there's real no way to do it, no way to regulate it even. I mean, that's that's a really good way to put it. I mean, it it just is it's completely nonsensical. I really have no words to explain it. I don't even know why they're considering such a thing. It's like talking about the Salem witch trials in the modern day, right? You don't even know why people would think in a certain way, let alone think about acting on it. So, Hopefully they hopefully they're able to think of better solutions or come up with something that's not so ridiculous, right? Because basically they just want encryption to uh, go along as it is now, but they want to sort of have like a golden key just in case they need it. They say right, like they just want yeah. 
they want like somehow a, having everything encrypted with the same you know yeah like you said golden key so that they would be able to open but no one else would be able to have access to and then of course what they fail to realize or adequately explain is that once the US government has that every other government in the world is going to have that and then every other government in the world is going to demand access to that kind of thing and then they'll be able to access the communications of every other government and then it just becomes a gigantic mess Right. And you also have the fact that, you know, um, government jobs, while they might be uh, nice sometimes, like they typically don't pay well. So then you're going to have that one disgruntled employee who walks away with the golden key and then, you know, everyone has the key and then we don't have encryption anymore. Yeah. The entire idea is so beyond the pale. It doesn't make any sense. (laughs) That's uh, what did you say? Government doesn't make sense. Um. <laughs> yeah, what a coincidence. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I just really think that they need to spend a whole lot more time in doing actual police work instead of being lazy. And I understand that obviously encryption is unbreakable, but there are millions of ways to catch a person who's doing something bad because no one does it perfectly. There's always a fault that you can find in the system somewhere. Just like with you know, technology and security, there's always a fault to exploit. Well, it's the exact same thing when people do bad things. And it's how we have survived as a species up until this point. There hasn't been some madman with a nuclear bomb that's destroyed all of humanity despite the amount of movies that Hollywood has made about it. It's because people always trip up. People always create their own problems. And that's why policing exists and why we should really put our faith in it and using tried and true methods of finding people out instead of just trying to fall back to the least common denominator of spying on everyone, whether they're innocent or not, and worrying about the civil liberties issues later. Yes, and uh, we don't we don't want to arrest people for pre crimes. This isn't yeah. Minority Report. Uh-huh. <laughs> I don't want to live in that kind of world. Well, we also need we also need to put some definitions around um, uh, how you can be how we need to consider these transactions, these uh, our data moving back and forth along the internet. When do we consider that data public, and when do we consider that data private? Right, and I think um, encryption is a really easy way for us to say. This data is encrypted. They have taken steps to make sure that it um, is private data. And at that point, we need to consider that, you know, that's the same as saying, I locked the front door of my house. It is not a public place. You can't simply come in. Um, You need some kind of, you know, authority to be able to come in and to ask me for that data. And you still have to ask me for that data. You can't simply, you know, decode it at your leisure. Um, but if I am, you know, if I'm exchanging data with um, some kind of a public resource of some kind, and that data is unencrypted, that is public data and could be logged and 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 read because it's at that point it's public in a sense. And um, you know, are there are there good ways for us to kind of codify that so that we can respect that encryption means privacy and that means it's intended to be private and we should have our, you know, at least in the United States, we have, you know, some constitutional amendments that say that we have a right to some level of privacy. And if we have taken steps to protect ourselves, that should imply that we are trying to be private and maintain that privacy. Yeah, yeah I think one of the biggest problems with that kind of thing is that the judicial systems in the Western world seem to be extremely slow to catch on and to actually yeah. take a look at these problems and solve them once and for all. I'm, I'm thinking of – there was a case recently of a man in Nova Scotia who came back to Canada and he was forced by the government just randomly seemingly to, um, to decrypt his laptop and his cell phone before they would let him back in the country. Uh, why did they do this, you ask? Well, because they can because – the courts haven't said that they can't. You know, they haven't right. created that right. created that uh, precedent or provision in the law that says that they can't do this. So they're going to do it. Um, so they, obviously, the guy is bringing a challenge against the the Canadian government now. But you know, until that until the court hears it, they're going to use that power as long as they can. Mm-hmm. And it's the exact same thing with the Supreme Court in the United States. 
And that's just how they do things. So we just have to sit on our hands and wait and see. Well, and again, it goes back to uh, Paul's uh, analogy of a door um, being locked. Like, you know, if if I traveled to the States this summer and then come back to Canada and my phone and my laptop are encrypted, it's like an admission of guilt on my part right now. Instead, it should just be like the front door of our house is locked right now because we don't want to let anyone in. It's not, It's not something that, like... I'm not a terrorist. It's just happening, right? Like, yeah, it's private data. Yeah. And you can, you know, you can ask to be granted access to that data. And depending on, um, you know, the, the probably depending on the charge that's in front of me and what I know that I've done and what I know that my data looks like, I might choose to share that data and I may choose not to share that data. At least in the United States, we have the right to not incriminate ourselves. And I think that includes or it should include um, the right to keep our data to ourselves if it would be potentially incriminating. Yeah. Or even if it's not potentially incriminating, it's our data and we, you know, we have the right uh, to remain silent. The warrant is a beautiful invention. People seem to be afraid of it <laughs> when it comes to yeah. electronic information. I'm not exactly sure why, but yeah. it shouldn't be. It's, it's a great thing. Just use it, right? Right, right. And that's that's when it comes down to, you know, is that does that data represent speech and can I keep it bottled up because I have the right to remain silent or is that data property and so with a warrant you can you can take possession of it because it's property as as opposed mm-hmm. to being, you know, speech or information. Yeah. Well, that's a good question. That's something that the geezers at the Supreme Court will have to weigh in on at some point. <laughs> Eventually, sort. yes. Yeah. Eventually, one of these cases is going to make it up there, and they're going to have to start to decide that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I can't remember. It was a while ago, but uh, even the fact that you know there were were some cases where it was like, uh, you know, the police can't ask you for your password. Um, to your phone if they want to look at your phone and you're being arrested. But I think there was like some 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 lawyer somewhere said, you know, with the new like little biosensor on the iPhones, like they could make you use your thumbprint to unlock your phone. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's something I'm worried about on my phone. Is that I have that on my phone at the moment too, and I'm like, oh great, this is awesome! You know, all I have to do is just put my thumb here, and then it unlocks. And I'm sure a lot of people feel the same way that I do about it. But then, of course, they don't realize that there's vastly different legal implications as compared to just entering your PIN code or your password or something like that. Mm-hmm. You can be forced to put your thumb there. You can't be forced to take a number out of your head. You know? Right. Yeah. Yeah, and then. Um... Yeah, I just watched a bad movie because that's what I do. And, uh, you know, there's other security issues with that as well. Like they they can't get like your pin out of your brain if they have shot you, but they can cut off your thumb. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like I said, it was a bad movie. Um, sure. <laughs> I've seen a lot of movies where they either kill the security guard or they anesthetize him or something. And then they hold him up and then they open his eye and they put it on the retinal scanner, you know, and then they let him through. <laughs> right. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So uh, that's exactly what happened in the movie because once he got past the <laughs> hand scan, it was in a retinal one. Yeah. So he was like, oh, I got to go back to that body. Bummer. <laughs> so, yeah, it's, uh, it's a tricky, tricky thing. Um, the moral of the story, folks, is that use passphrases – don't use your thumb in case in some kind of dystopian future sci-fi movie you want somebody to come in <laughs> and assassinate you and then use your body parts to get past whatever door you're protecting. And make it a very clever passphrase so that you can give them hints that they'll actually never understand. Yeah. <laughs> yes. While you're being interrogated harshly under duress. Wow, you just made me think of a really good password. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Um, What's your password, kid? Well, I'm not sure what old Mark Twain would have to say about that. Uh, I'm sure you could go ask Huckleberry Finn. 
Is Chicken Lawyer having an interrogation session? I think so, yeah. <laughs> He's the victim of the interrogation session. Yeah. I'm afraid my client is not at liberty to say what his past phrase is at this time. And obviously, uh, for those of you who are listening, Chicken Lawyer is really just the robot L from Star Crash, which we watched <laughs> right. on Film Proud. <laughs> because robots have country hick voices. So, I'm afraid you're going to need to give me part. your thumbprint to unlock my full functionality. <laughs> but I can tell you what time it is and or take a picture. <laughs> what, what were you saying, Jacob? Uh, I was just saying I watched that clip that you had, that you posted on Twitter from that movie, and yeah, I, that's definitely a, a frown-worthy film. It's <laughs> from what I can see. <laughs> oh yeah, I think I posted like a bunch of clips of the robot talking. Yeah, yeah, yeah it was yeah a compilation. I think that He's, is the, yeah. I think that's the best of our film frown uh, movies so far that we've watched this season, actually. <laughs> I think that's the one the one film that we've definitively said is so bad it's good. I'm gonna have to step in and be a robot chauvinist. <laughs> right. Yeah. Ridiculous. Uh yeah. So no, that brings <laughs> us uh around to um to what you're saying about passphrases, as I was gonna say, maybe we should uh like I said, the show was kind of loose, but maybe we should end here at the last couple of minutes talking about some best practices for listeners. Like uh, I'm sure mom is listening. So, you know, some good ideas for people to take to maybe protect their privacy a little more. Um, and obviously the first ones get ARC OS. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Uh, but uh, do you, either of you have like ideas like, um, you know, maybe I guess I would say um, possibly fi- getting your own domain, even if you're just paying like nine ninety five a month for your own domain or a year or something like that to then get your own email, even though it might still be centralized on some other host, but at least it's not Google or Hotmail or some other place. Mm-hmm. Would you say that's a fair best practice? I think that's definitely a good thing to start with. Yeah, I mean, like I like I said earlier, the point is not to be, you know, the Uber geek and have every single thing on lockdown. The point is to just make mass collection of your information so difficult and so prohibitively expensive that it's not going to be worth it to anyone to even try. So you're not going to show up on people's radars. Well, you will, but they're not going to they're not going to pick you out of the crowd, so to speak, in in that way. So, yeah, one of the things you can start with is getting a domain and considering getting your email hosted someplace that's not with everyone else. So whether that's hosting it on your own or through a different provider, that's probably the best thing to start with. And then look at all of the things that you use through Google. Look at all of the other things that you use through uh, other large companies like that. And say, okay, how can I slowly start chipping away at these? And with every little thing that you start removing from those services, that's another win for you, I suppose. Um, so that's great. And if ArcOS can be the kind of thing that helps you with that, that's great. If not, there are other services that will help too. And um, just take it bit by bit by bit and eventually you'll get there. Yeah, and that's the sort of the little adventure that I've started on. Um is doing it bit by bit. And, uh, you know, <clears throat> I sometimes I struggle with, like, what to tell people because sometimes people, like, come up to me and say, well, what's the big deal? Like, who cares if they have my data? <laughs> mm-hmm. And I'm like, well, I guess that's your personal choice. I, I <laughs> do you? What do you tell people when they're like? Yeah, that's it's actually a question that I hear a lot. And, um most people kind of default to the typical style argument of there's nothing to hide. I have nothing to hide, so so why do I care, right? And to that, I'm not going to go into too much detail because I could probably spend a lot of time on it, but Glenn Greenwald has a really good TED Talk uh, where uh, it's called Why Privacy Matters, and he addresses that exact question. Why should people care about things like this? And it's not necessarily because you're good if you do or you're bad if you don't. It's mostly just because 
well, everybody, everybody has to come up with that for themselves. And I really want people to watch this video, so I'm not going to go too, too deep into it, like I said. But it does definitely answer that question of why each individual should care about things like this. Well, and I mean, it kind of goes back to uh, Paul's great analogy about having your front door locked and closed. Yeah. Um, it's, it's, you know, uh, if everyone had their front door unlocked and you had yours closed, then that's kind of awkward. But if no yeah, one and that's, cares. That's exactly what it is. People don't people don't recognize that. So that's that's a good thing that you could start off with, too, is that, well, if if you ever have to be confronted with somebody that doesn't care about it, then use that exact use that exact analogy, because that's exactly what it's like. You know, people need to start thinking about these things in that kind of way, and you might not have any useful information, but we need to stand up to whether it's the ad services or the governments or anything like that, and saying these are my rights. And I'm going to exercise them because if you don't have them, then when you need them, they're not going to be there. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And for the people who do need them, they're going to thank you <laughs> if they can actually use them. Mm-hmm. That's Yeah, that's kind of the point. It's sort of just like the people who are like, well, I don't really recycle because like what can one person do? It's not what one person can do. It's like what all of us can do. And you're you're setting an example and, you know, it's every almost, little bit. It's almost comes. like a civic thing. Yeah. Yes, completely. It's a civic duty to decentralize. I like that. <laughs> also cool. I can't wait to see the posters. Yeah. <laughs> I imagine them very, yes, uh, propaganda-like. Yeah, civic duty. Say, red and black, lots of people, you know. Uh, yeah, World War II recruiting style. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And I want you to decentralize. <laughs> I mean, one of the things uh, I didn't mention uh, when we were talking about the various ways that data is being collected, because you can just assume it's being collected everywhere. But uh, kind of to our point here about, um, you know, taking these steps because we should be taking them um, is otherwise we lose them is um, I think it was a couple months ago. But the new Samsung smart TVs uh, listen in on you. Oh, gosh. And so, like, it's right in the agreement when you buy it that the TV is recording audio and they're getting information. And, yeah. and you know, it kind of was a news item, but, like, there hasn't been a lot of people saying, whoa, wait a second. Um, I think recently, like, they've wow. received some flack about it. But I just read also that there is a Barbie doll, like a smart Barbie doll called Hello Barbie, and she like can have conversations with your kids and they're recording it. But then Mattel is like, no, no, we're just recording the data to make her a better doll and make her respond better. We're not actually using the data from your children, we swear. <laughs> well, I'm not as uh, up to date on Barbie technology as you might be. <laughs> but I do know that that I, I did hear about the Samsung smart TV debacle. And if I remember right, they changed – they changed their plans or they clarified something and it's better than it actually sounded anyway. What I do know is that companies still react to public criticism about these things. Um, yeah. I'm thinking also about the Lenovo Superfish calamity that happened where uh, there is some software that they're installing that was like decrypt or using a special SSL certificate that decrypted all of their communication. And was essentially a man-in-the-middle attack yeah. for this one company just so that they could put in advertisements or something like that. Um, and, and there was a pretty significant firestorm about that. And they basically fell on their knees. They were like, please don't leave us. We'll do anything. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Even though they, their initial <laughs> handling of that situation was so abhorrent. So companies are surprised surprisingly reactive to people making a fuss about things like this and so people really they do need to keep doing that because then not everything will be completely a lost cause exactly and that's why we need to take these steps <laughs> and protect mm-hmm. our privacy because like you said yeah. it'll be gone if we don't yeah the if more you don't of these- use it you lose it Right. And right now, like uh, we've had this conversation in front of um, not only Microsoft because we're using Skype, but also Paul's Apple Watch is probably listening in on us. (laughs) 
<laughs> it totally is. I think it's waiting for one of us to say, hey, Siri. <laughs> Actually, I don't think I have that turned on. Hey, Siri, what's Paul's pulse right now? <laughs> <laughs> Please send me his heartbeat. Oh, you can't because I don't have an Apple Watch as well. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Oh, bummer. So, yeah, uh, before we sign off, uh, the only thing you explained a little bit about it, but um, what's new in point seven? Uh, I know it's completely rebuilt. You explained that, but uh, you also kind of pushed um, today. I saw well, the Arc OS Connect um, get pushed and you like I said, you talked a little bit about it, but <clears throat> basically uh, for me, if I. Uh, like I can't have a static IP, which is really quite useful for a server. So that's one part of ArcOS Connect. Um, what are some of the other uh, stuff uh, that people get when they subscribe? Mm-hmm. So ArcOS Connect has a few different components, and they're being phased in over the course of the next couple of months. Um, so not all of them will be available right away. But the first ones, the first two is the dynamic DNS system, which you just described, uh, and a service called Link, which is being um, put out in, participa- or, uh, yeah, in participation with a uh, group called Engrock. And what that does is that's like dynamic DNS on steroids. So if you have an ISP that blocks your ports or does a lot of other nefarious things interfering with your traffic and you can't host services on those ports and get other people to be able to access them, you can use Link and it handles all of that for you. So it's a tunneling service that connects directly to your device. And what's really cool about uh, Engrock and Link, which I like a lot, is that it can be completely end-to-end encrypted. So you can use your own domain with your own SSL certificate and it's still going through this tunneling, but obviously nobody can can look into it, not even the, the Link uh, providers or us or anything like that. So it's pretty awesome. Um, but then there's a, a backup, uh, a, a no um, uh, no knowledge, fully encrypted backup service called Drydock, which is going to be coming soon. So you can have automatic backups and refreshes of your server in case your server gets knocked offline, which you know that that can happen at home with power outages or things like that. Um, you can get your SD card corrupted, so that's a, a pretty important thing. And then there's another one that'll co- that's coming out called Connect Mail, which is an easy way to have local mail storage. But if your um, ISP is blocking your mail transmission ports, then it enables you to have a full service mail system, kind of like a relay, um, but a bit more sophisticated than that. And that's another thing that's going to be added. So, so yeah, those are the ArcOS Connect services, and those are things that are going to help you with the decentralization experience if your ISP is giving you trouble. Um, so those are extras, but built into zero point seven, there there's a lot of cool new stuff. Um, like I said, the whole thing is completely revamped. There's way too many things to to list, but <laughs> people should definitely people should definitely check it out because it's going to be really cool and a lot more fast and stable than before. Yeah, it's uh, it's funny because you said um, you know SD cards can get corrupted, and uh, yeah. I remember when Drydock was first. Uh, proposed and wasn't there sort of a component of that uh, already in an earlier version or no uh nope okay um so i remember when you were talking about or the website and forums were talking about dry dock i was like yeah but i'm just playing around right now i'm not using it for essential services because it's still in beta so i'm not worried about it and then my um branded uh SD card from the campaign that has a picture of ArcOS on it uh, actually got corrupted. So <laughs> mm, yeah, I was like, oh, yeah, that's a great service. <laughs> yep. Yeah, well, the plan is the, the, the latest version of 0.7, one of the new things, has full data backups. So you can right now completely backup all, each individual service to like an external USB drive, for example. Um, but the plan in 0.7.1, when these Connect services are launching, is instead of putting it on the local thing, encrypt it on the fly and then send it up to the dry dock server and then just have it there. So it's as easy as it could possibly be. Sweet. Yep. That's exciting. I like it. <laughs> More work for me to play with. <clears throat> that means I won't get to these show notes in a while. <laughs> <laughs> That's all right. <laughs> <laughs> 
Excellent. Uh, thank you so much for coming on and uh, talking with us. It was very fun. Not thank as, you for having me. It's always a pleasure. Yeah, it was. Uh, I almost want you to just um, do your uh, reboot, Deep Blue Sea, again. But uh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't. I don't have. I don't have any prepared material this time. <laughs> uh, I think that show is posted on Film Frown so people can hear you talking about movies if they were turned off by any of our privacy chat. Um, <laughs> I did think about, for April Fool's Day, making a post on the blog uh, announcing the Arc OS watch, which is something that I've been working on for a little while now. Um, nice. It would nice. obviously just be a coincidence that it was on April Fool's Day because it's totally a real thing. <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll put some more work in on that. Perfect. I like all the data on my wrist. I like it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> it's always right on me at all times. <laughs> I'm not even leaving it alone. That's how secure it is. Yeah. For, that shows how committed you are to decentralization. That's right. For fear of um for fear of any kind of uh stolen identity and anything like that. Like the ArcOS watch is really just a small uh tattoo gun that you wear on your wrist and it puts like a tattoo of your current data on your arm yeah i like i it. mean what what can be more exportable than that <laughs> <laughs> trying it on your physical presence <laughs> that's right i have all my data with me it's in ones and zeros on my tattoo yeah i like it <laughs> yeah so uh i'm sorry that i wasn't more prepared it's been uh a rough week and uh so, but I think the show was pretty good. And I, again, I thank both of you for chatting with me. Um, and mom in the chat room is thanking us. <laughs> Hi, mom. <clears throat> and uh, so, yeah, next week we are back, Paul and I. Um, and there's a motley crew of folks supposedly on this show, but they said they would be on this show like way back in January, so I should double check with them. <laughs> but we are we are watching uh, Barry Gordy's The Last Dragon for Film Frown next week. Uh, it's a fave from my childhood, and why would a favorite film be on a bad movie podcast? Well, you should tune in and find out. There's a hint in the title. Um, why is a Motown Records producer making a kung fu film? Um, but. <laughs> Uh, but I believe uh, Steve is with us uh, again, and he was with us last week, possibly Sally, although she's been quite busy. And there should be Arden returning from Revenge of the Ninja, um, but I need to contact them to make sure. Um, and if any of them can't make it, then I'll bug Jacob. Um, <laughs> he loves I'm always bad here, just me and my cat. We'll watch it. <laughs> So tune in next week for that. Uh, definitely check us out on iTunes and vote for us because that's like important and that's what podcasters say, you know. Totally, yeah. Yeah. Yes. And totally subscribe and, you know. Recommend if, us an Overcast if you're using that as your podcatcher of choice. See? Yes. That would help us for sure and, you know, subscribe, <laughs> those kind of things. And if you're listening to this uh, feed – um Hi from the past. Uh, <laughs> but if you're listening to this feed and uh, you are ever interested, you should check us out live every Thursday night. We're doing some kind of show and there's a chat room and you can pop in like my mom is talking to Jacob right now. So there you go. Uh, thanks, everyone, for listening. And uh, remember, if life gives you potatoes, make poutine. <laughs> <laughs>